Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad Baruch Shem Kehud Malkuto Le'olam Va'ed Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be the name of the glory of His kingdom forever and ever. Amen. Good morning, Mishpacha. Welcome to the Daily Audio Torah. I'm Laura Densmore, your host, and I'm so glad you're joining in with me today. Today is Wednesday, May 4th. We have just completed the observance and celebration of Passover and the seven days of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. But did you know that Passover is not really over until we get to Shavuot? There is the counting of the Omer, a 50-day count that takes you up to the next biblical feast, which is Shavuot, or Pentecost. This 50-day countdown to Shavuot is known as the counting of the Omer, The giving of the Torah happened at Shavuot, exactly fifty days after the children of Israel left Egypt. A few thousand years later, on the exact same day, Shavuot, Yeshua's followers gathered in the upper room for a prayer meeting. On Shavuot, also known as Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out in great power with a mighty wind and tongues of flames. So, on Shavuot, We have the giving of the Torah written on tablets of stone, and then a few thousand years later, the Torah was written upon hearts of flesh, as it is written in Ezekiel 36.25-27. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. The counting of the Omer begins on the second night of Passover. The Omer is counted each evening after sundown. This year Shavuot begins at sunset on Saturday, June 4th, and ends at sundown on Monday, June 6th. We are to stand when counting the Omer, and we begin by reciting the following blessing. Baruch Ata Adonai Eloheinu Melecha Olam Asher Kidshanu Bimos Tav Zivanu Al Sefirat HaOmer Blessed are you, Adonai our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with your commandments and commanded us to count the Omer. After the blessing, we recite the appropriate day of the count. For example, Hayom Yom Echad La Omer. Today is the 18th day of the Omer. Now let's continue our journey through the entire Bible in one year. This week we are reading from the New Living Translation for the Hebrew Scriptures and for the Brit Hadashah. Today we continue the Torah portion, Kadoshim, and it means holy. Leviticus 20, 
1 to 8. The Lord said to Moses, Give the people of Israel these instructions, which apply both to native Israelites and to the foreigners living in Israel. If any of them offer their children as a sacrifice to Molech, they must be put to death. The people of the community must stone them to death. I myself will turn against them and cut them off from the community, because they have defiled my sanctuary and brought shame on my holy name by offering their children to Molech. And if the people of the community ignore those who offer their children to Molech and refuse to execute them, I myself will turn against them and their families and will cut them off from the community. This will happen to all who commit spiritual prostitution by worshiping Molech. I will also turn against those who commit spiritual prostitution by putting their trust in mediums or in those who consult the spirits of the dead. I will cut them off from the community. So set yourselves apart to be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Keep all my decrees by putting them into practice, for I am the Lord who makes you holy. Judges 19, 1 to 20, 48. Now in those days Israel had no king. There was a man from the tribe of Levi living in a remote area of the hill country of Ephraim. One day he brought home a woman from Bethlehem in Judah to be his concubine. But she became angry with him and returned to her father's home in Bethlehem. After about four months her husband set out for Bethlehem to speak personally to her and persuade her to come back. He took him with him a servant and a pair of donkeys. When he arrived at her father's house, her father saw him and welcomed him. Her father urged him to stay a while, so he stayed three days, eating, drinking, and sleeping there. On the fourth day the man was up early, ready to leave, but the woman's father said to his son-in-law, Have something to eat before you go. So the two men sat down together and had something to eat and drink. Then the woman's father said, Please stay another night and enjoy yourself. The man got up to leave, but his father-in-law kept urging him to stay. So he finally gave in and stayed the night. On the morning of the fifth day he was up early again, ready to leave, and again the woman's father said, Have something to eat, then you can leave later this afternoon. So they had another day of feasting. Later. As the man and his concubine and servant were preparing to leave, his father-in-law said, Look, it's almost evening. Stay the night and enjoy yourself. Tomorrow you can get up early and be on your way. But this time the man was determined to leave. So he took his two saddled donkeys and his concubine and headed in the direction of Jebus, that is, Jerusalem. It was late in the day when they neared Jebus, And the man's servant said to him, Let's stop at this Jebusite town and spend the night there. No, his master said, We can't stay in this foreign town where there are no Israelites. Instead, we will go on to Gebeah. Come on, let's try to get as far as Gebeah or Ramah, and we'll spend the night in one of those towns. 
So they went on. The sun was setting as they came to Gabeah, a town in the land of Benjamin. So they stopped there to spend the night. They rested in the town square, but no one took them in for the night. That evening an old man came home from his work in the fields. He was from the hill country of Ephraim, but he was living in Gabeah, where the people were from the tribe of Benjamin. When he saw the travelers sitting in the town square, he asked them where they were from and where they were going. We have been in Bethlehem in Judah, the man replied. We are on our way to a remote area in the hill country of Ephraim, which is my home. I traveled to Bethlehem, and now I am returning home. But no one has taken us in for the night. Even though we have everything we need, we have straw and feed for our donkeys and plenty of bread and wine for ourselves. You are welcome to stay with me, the old man said. I will give you anything you might need, but whatever you do, don't spend the night in the square. So he took them home with him and fed the donkeys. After they washed their feet, they ate and drank together. While they were enjoying themselves, a crowd of troublemakers from the town surrounded the house. They began beating at the door and shouting to the old man, Bring out the man who is staying with you so we can have sex with him. The old man stepped outside to talk to them. No, my brothers, don't do such an evil thing, for this man is a guest in my home, and such a thing would be shameful. Here, take my virgin daughter and this man's concubine. I will bring them out to you, and you can abuse them and do whatever you like. But don't do such a shameful thing to this man. But they wouldn't listen to him. So the Levite took hold of his concubine and pushed her out the door. The men of the town abused her all night, taking turns raping her until morning. Finally, at dawn, they let her go. At daybreak, the woman returned to the house where her husband was staying. She collapsed at the door of the house and lay there until it was light. When her husband opened the door to leave, there lay his concubine with her hands on the threshold. He said, Get up! Let's go! But there was no answer. So he put her body on his donkey and took her home. When he got home, he took a knife and cut his concubine's body into twelve pieces. Then he sent one piece to each tribe throughout all the territory of Israel. Everyone who saw it said, Such a horrible crime has not been committed in all the time since Israel left Egypt. Think about it. What are we going to do? Who's going to speak up? Then all the Israelites were united as one man from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south, including those from across the Jordan in the land of Gilead. The entire community assembled in the presence of the Lord at Mizpah. The leaders of all the people and all the tribes of Israel, 400,000 warriors armed with swords, took their positions in the assembly of the people of God. Word soon reached the land of Benjamin that the other tribes had gone to Mizpah. The Israelites then asked how this terrible crime had happened. The Levite, the husband of the woman who had been murdered, said, My concubine and I came to spend the night in Gabeah a town that belongs to the people of Benjamin. That night, some of the leading citizens of Gabeah surrounded the house, planning to kill me, and they raped my concubine until she was dead. 
So I cut her body into twelve pieces, and sent the pieces throughout the territory assigned to Israel. For these men have committed a terrible and shameful crime. Now then, all of you, the entire community of Israel, must decide here and now what should be done about this. And all the people rose to their feet in unison and declared, None of us will return home. No, not even one of us. Instead, this is what we will do to Gabeah. We will draw lots to decide who will attack it. One-tenth of the men from each tribe will be chosen to supply the warriors with food, and the rest of us will take revenge on Gabeah of Benjamin for this shameful thing they have done in Israel. So all the Israelites were completely united, and they gathered together to attack the town. The Israelites sent messengers to the tribe of Benjamin, saying, What a terrible thing has been done among you. Give up these evil men, those troublemakers from Gibeah, so we can execute them and purge Israel of this evil. But the people of Benjamin would not listen. Instead, they came from their towns and gathered at Gibeah to fight the Israelites. In all, 26,000 of their warriors armed with swords arrived in Gibeah to join the 700 elite troops who lived there. Among Benjamin's elite troops, 700 were left-handed, and each of them could sling a rock and hit a target within a hair's breadth without missing. Israel had 400,000 experienced soldiers armed with swords, not counting Benjamin's warriors. Before the battle, the Israelites went to Bethel and asked God which tribe should go first to attack the people of Benjamin. The Lord answered, Judah is to go first. So the Israelites left early the next morning and camped near Gabeah. Then they advanced toward Gabeah to attack the men of Benjamin. But Benjamin's warriors, who were defending the town, came out and killed 22,000 Israelites on the battlefield that day. But the Israelites encouraged each other and took their positions again at the same place they had fought the previous day. For they had gone up to Bethel and wept in the presence of the Lord until evening. They asked the Lord, Should we fight against our relatives from Benjamin again? And the Lord had said, Go out and fight against them. So the next day they went out again to fight against the men of Benjamin. But the men of Benjamin killed another 18,000 Israelites, all of whom were experienced with the sword. Then all the Israelites went up to Bethel and wept in the presence of the Lord and fasted until evening. They also brought burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. The Israelites went up seeking direction from the Lord. In those days the Ark of the Covenant of God was in Bethel and Phinehas, son of Eleazar, and grandson of Aaron, was the priest. The Israelites asked the Lord, Should we fight against our relatives from Benjamin again, or should we stop? The Lord said, Go, tomorrow I will hand them over to you. So the Israelites set an ambush all around Gabeah. They went out on the third day and took their positions at the same place as before. Then the men of Benjamin came out to attack. They were drawn away from the town. And as they had done before, they began to kill the Israelites. About thirty Israelites died in the open fields along the roads, one leading to Bethel and the other leading back to Gabeah. 
Then the warriors of Benjamin shouted, We're defeating them as we did before. But the Israelites had planned in advance to run away so that the men of Benjamin would chase them along the roads and be drawn away from the town. When the main group of Israelite warriors reached Baal Tamar, they turned and took up their positions. Meanwhile, the Israelites hiding in ambush to the west of Gabeah jumped up to fight. There were 10,000 elite Israelite troops who advanced against Gabeah. The fighting was so heavy that Benjamin didn't realize the impending disaster. So the Lord helped Israel defeat Benjamin, and that day the Israelites killed 25,100 of Benjamin's warriors, all of whom were experienced swordsmen. Then the men of Benjamin saw that they were beaten. The Israelites had retreated from Benjamin's warriors in order to give those hiding in ambush more room to maneuver against Gabeah. Then those who were hiding rushed in from all sides and killed everyone in the town. They had arranged to send up a large cloud of smoke from the town as a signal. When the Israelites saw the smoke, they turned and attacked Benjamin's warriors. By that time, Benjamin's warriors had killed about 30 Israelites, and they shouted, We're defeating them, as we did in the last battle. But when the warriors of Benjamin looked behind them and saw the smoke rising in the sky from every part of the town, the men of Israel turned and attacked. At this point, the men of Benjamin became terrified because they realized disaster was close at hand. So they turned around and fled before the Israelites toward the wilderness. But they couldn't escape the battle, and the people who came out of nearby towns were also killed. The Israelites surrounded the men of Benjamin and chased them relentlessly, finally overtaking them east of Gabeah. That day, 18,000 of Benjamin's strongest warriors died in battle. The survivors fled into the wilderness toward the Rock of Rimmon, but Israel killed 5,000 of them along the road. They continued the chase until they had killed another 2,000 near Gidom. So that day the tribe of Benjamin lost 25,000 strong warriors armed with swords, leaving only 600 men who escaped to the Rock of Rimmon, where they lived for four months. And the Israelites returned and slaughtered every living thing in all the towns, the people, the livestock, and everything they found. They also burned down all the towns they came to. John 3, 22-4-3 Then Yeshua and his disciples left Jerusalem and went into the Judean countryside. Yeshua spent time with them there baptizing people. At this time John the Baptist was baptizing at Anan near Salim because there was plenty of water there, and people kept coming to him for baptism. This was before John was thrown into prison. A debate broke out between John's disciples and a certain Jew over ceremonial cleansing. So John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you identified as the Messiah, is also baptizing people, and everybody is going to him instead of coming to us. 
John replied, No one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. You yourselves know how plainly I told you. I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride, and the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. He has come from above and is greater than anyone else. We are of the earth and we speak of earthly things, but he has come from heaven and is greater than anyone else. He testifies about what he has seen and heard, for how few believe what he tells them. Anyone who accepts his testimony can affirm that God is true, for he is sent by God. He speaks God's words, for God gives him the Spirit without limit. The Father loves his Son and has put everything into his hands, and anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. Anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. Yeshua knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John through Yeshua himself. He didn't baptize them. His disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. Psalm 104, 24-35 O Lord, what a variety of things you have made! In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the vast ocean, vast and wide, teeming with life of every kind, both large and small. See the ships sailing along, and Leviathan, which you made to play in the sea. They all depend on you to give them food as they need it. When you supply it, they gather it. You open your hand to feed them, and they are richly satisfied. But if you turn away from them, they panic. When you take away their breath, they die and turn again to dust. When you give them your breath, life is created, and you renew the face of the earth. May the glory of the Lord continue forever. The Lord takes pleasure in all he has made. The earth trembles at his glance. The mountains smoke at his touch. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will praise my God to my last breath. May all my thoughts be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let all sinners vanish from the face of the earth. Let the wicked disappear forever. Let all that I am praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Proverbs 14.22-24 If you plan to do evil, you will be lost. If you plan to do good, you will receive unfailing love and faithfulness. Work brings profit, but mere talk leads to poverty. Wealth is a crown for the wise. The effort of fools yields only foolishness. I'd like to speak to you today from our Torah portion from Leviticus chapter 20, and then we're going to jump into John chapter 3. In Leviticus chapter 20, the Lord clearly states his position and his standard 
for the sanctity of life from the moment of conception. In Leviticus chapter 20, verse 2, it is written, Give the people of Israel these instructions, which apply both to native Israelites and to the foreigners living in Israel. If any of them offer their children as a sacrifice to Molech, they must be put to death. The people of the community must stone them to death. I myself will turn against them and cut them off from the community because they have defiled my sanctuary and brought shame on my holy name by offering their children to Molech. And if the people of the community ignore those who offer their children to Molech and refuse to execute them, I myself will turn against them and their families and will cut them off from the community. This will happen to all who commit spiritual prostitution by worshiping Molech. Molech was a god that the people worshipped back then. And it was a great statue, and at the base of the statue was a wide opening, and they would get a blazing fire going inside of the statue, and then they would walk up the ramp and literally throw their infant or toddler into the raging fire and burn the child alive. This was a blood sacrifice to the ancient false god of Molech. And today we do blood sacrifice in America and in all the nations of the world through what's known as abortion. But there is something even more heinous and horrible that has recently emerged on the scene. California now has a bill that is being considered in the Senate. It is Assembly Bill 2223. I'm just going to read a news article about this bill. Christians rally against California abortion legislation. Never seen a bill like this. This comes from thechristianpost.com. A bill that critics argue could decriminalize infanticide in California drew hundreds of people to the state's capital this week as the legislation continues to move forward in Sacramento. Demonstrators, including Pastor Jack Hibbs and other pastors and churchgoers, descended on the state capitol to lobby legislators ahead of a committee vote on Assembly Bill 2223. Opponents say the new bill would protect mothers and their accomplices who kill or let die breathing newborns from criminal prosecution. But supporters of the bill, which passed the Assembly Health Committee on an 11-3 vote this week, say it would prevent women from being prosecuted for any actions or omissions related to pregnancy, including miscarriage, stillbirth, or abortion, or perinatal death. Proponents have also pushed back on claims that the bill would decriminalize infanticide. The California Family Council contends that since pregnancy-related cause is not defined in the bill, a mother who takes the life of her newborn could potentially cite postpartum depression as such a pregnancy-related cause. In an interview with the Christian Post, Hibbs called the proposed legislation literally unbelievable. 
How can this possibly be justified by anyone's worldview no matter what? Hibbs asked. By what means and by what logic have you come to this conclusion that a baby can be murdered up to 30 days after birth and there'll be no accountability? It's literally unbelievable. According to California Family Council, the bill also removes the duty of a coroner to determine how a newborn died if the death is known or suspected to be the result of a self-induced or criminal abortion. The bill also gives a mother the right to sue any law enforcement agency for investigating or threatening to investigate her pregnancy outcome, including the perinatal death of her child. Now, perinatal means after birth, after they've been birthed out of the womb. The perinatal death of her child, the statement adds. So if someone finds a dead newborn in a dumpster, law enforcement is expected to ask no questions or look further into the matter if they suspect the child died after a failed abortion or from any pregnancy-related cause. The legislature Legislation comes as two California women were charged with fetal murder for causing the stillbirths of their fetuses, one of which is serving an 11-year prison sentence after drug use was found to have contributed to the death of her baby. This is literally infanticide, murder of infants after they are born, up to 30 days after they are born. And this is a bill being seriously considered in the state of California. Truly, this is blood sacrifice being offered to the God of Molech. And God makes it very clear from his word, from our readings today in Leviticus 20, how he stands on this issue and how he feels about this issue. In fact, one of the big reasons why the, both the northern and the southern kingdom were evicted and vomited out of the land of Israel was because of this heinous and horrible crime of offering their children to Molech. Heavenly Father, we are deeply grieved by this legislation that is on the floor being considered in California's legislature. Father, we stand in the gap. We ask, Father, that this legislation would be nullified, that it would be voted down, that it would go no farther. Father, we ask for protection for the unborn, for the preborn in the womb in California and throughout all of the United States and throughout the world. We pray that you will move upon the hearts and the consciences of the legislators that will yet to vote on this piece of legislation, and that, Father, that you would convict them that this is truly a bill that allows for murder, that it devalues life, that newborns are not valuable, that it's okay to kill them, to murder them. Oh, Abba. Have mercy. Abba, we plead the blood of Yeshua over the legislature in California, and we pray that this terrible, terrible bill 
would never see the light of day, that it would be shot down and overturned, and that it would not pass and become a law. We ask it in Yeshua's name. Amen. And now I want to turn our attention to John chapter 3, and we're going to zoom in on verses 27 to 30. John replied, No one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. You yourselves know how plainly I told you, I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride, and the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. So I have a question for you. This principle applies to us as well. Yeshua in us must become greater and greater. And the I within each one of us must become less and less. Our ego, our self, our pride, our flesh must become less and less. And Yeshua, who lives within us, must become more and more. How does that happen? It's a death process. Our flesh must be crucified. And that can be a very painful process. The Lord works through circumstances and puts us through situations where we have to die to our pride and die to our flesh and lay down our life for others. We get tested. We get put through the squeeze. We get put through a narrow place. And it's kind of like going through the knot hole of a fence. And you come out on the other side in a wide open place, but you got squeezed in going through that knot hole. So how is the Lord working in your life so that the flesh and the eye and the ego becomes less and less and the life and the spirit of Yeshua becomes more and more? Think on that and ask him to accomplish that, to work that process out in your life. Have a blessed day. See you tomorrow. Shalom.
Aaronic Blessing from Numbers chapter 6, 24 to 26. Adonai bless you and keep you. Adonai make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Adonai lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.